Well, good morning. So glad that you came today. We're finishing up our series of Building Strong Families, uh, the sermon series, and talking about strategic families this morning. And so my hope and my prayer this week was that you could leave here with some really practical things to continue to build into your family, into this church family, into your friendships, into your community, and that kind of thing. And so I'm excited. So I want to start with a picture of this guy. Some of you know who this is. He's cutting a credit card up. Um, Dave Ramsey proposes seven baby steps to get out of debt and to uh, begin to save and give. How many have gone through his program even here at this church or other, lots of you. Um, so he says the know-how, the know-how is 20% of the equation, but the behavior change is the other 80%. I remember when my husband and I went through this several years ago, uh, we sat at the kitchen table and laid out all our credit cards and we began to trade like, you know, like game cards. And he, I said, I'll give up my coals if you give up your lows. You know, <laughs> I'll trade you one, I'll trade you one JCPenney card for two Home Depots. You know, we sat there and decided which ones we would go. And so it's that action. In fact, he teaches step one is uh, start with building an emergency fund of $1,000, and then he lists six more steps to get out of debt. But the, the main thing is he gives you a strategy. He says, these are the six steps that you need to strategically get your money in order. Um, mental health experts say that there's 10 ways that you can naturally curb depression if you're facing it. I'm sure there are lots of other ways, but uh, these, these are some things that, that mental health experts say. They say, you know, get into a routine, set goals, exercise, get healthy, quit watching the presidential debate. I think that's maybe the first one. Um, but above all, they say make a plan and stick to it. Get a strategy. If you need to beat Depression, if you want to beat anxiety, you need to get a strategy. My brother is here this morning. He's right here. He's kind of tall, so you can't look past him. Sorry about that. But um, he works at the Y. And so if I came to him and I said, all right, I want a six-pack, lower cholesterol, and to be able to run a 5K in the spring, he would not say eat more Twinkies. I brought a picture of those too, sadly. Right? He would say, okay, um, here's your strategy. Uh, weight train, incremental running, eat vegetables all the time, um, you know, no carbs, no Panera at all. And slowly and surely in that strategy, you would begin the endurance and the strength to run that race. And so it dawned on me this week as we were talking about strategic families that we make strategies financially all the time. Maybe it's not Dave Ramsey, but you pick something else. We make strategies physically. Many of you have uh, gym routines that you do or, or workouts at home, that kind of thing. We make strategies emotionally. We make strategies mentally. And we see these as really important core pieces of our life. But often we forget that we need a spiritual strategy. And not only do we need a spiritual strategy for our own growth, but if we want to build strong families, if we want to build a strong church family, if we want to build strong friendships and strong small groups, we need a strategy. We need a book of plays. We need a, a list of tactics and methods that will help us because quite literally, we have a war to win. Quite literally, in the spiritual world, we have a war to win, and we are foolish if we go into it without a strategy. Last week, we talked a little bit about how you don't accidentally follow Jesus. You don't accidentally quit wanting to do wrong things. You have to make a plan. In fact, Proverbs 16.3 says this, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. 
This proverb deduces that we have a plan. And if we commit that plan to the Lord, it will succeed. But first, you must have a plan to commit to the Lord. And so he is saying, you must have a strategy. You want to make a plan. And so I want to invite some people I I asked to come up here today, uh, if you would come on up. And I want to talk with just a few of you guys about what were some strategic plans that you had as you were growing in your faith. Would you give the guys a round of applause? They glad they're here. All right. Kaden, I'm going to start with you. This is Kaden. He riffs a mad, what instrument do you play? Uh, well, um, saxophone. <laughs> that one, saxophone. Bass. Okay, whatever he does up here. Okay, you so Kaden, uh, come on over, come stand next to me. Cool. So um, Kaden, my question for you is kind of through your teenage years, you're in college now, right? Yeah. What are you, where are you at, where are you in college? Uh, I'm at Mercedes, I'm a junior. And what are you studying? Music. I didn't prep him on these questions. <laughs> he gets that. All right, so as you're in college, you were through high school and into college, what was your strategy to stay spiritually healthy, to stay spiritually, you know, on point as you walk through those, mm-hmm. those years? Well, when I, was, when I was 15, 16, I really didn't have a strategy, you know, because I didn't really know what I was doing with my life at all. I was a teenager. Um, but I would say the most important thing in my life that kept me straight on the path um, was getting involved in the church, right? Um, I've been a musician my whole life. Um, you know, I started very young. I had a passion for music. I also have a passion for the church, right? Put two and two together, and um, naturally, I'm going to be drawn to the worship ministry, and, um, and that's what I do here, right? Um, I serve um, mostly every week. Actually, it's pretty much every week, right? <laughs> um, but that's what keeps me straight, because I can't come up here um, and have, you know, no preparation, you know, spiritually, right? I can't come up here with things on my heart and expect to worship to my fullest ability and to lead others to worship, right? Um, That's a lifestyle that I need to portray outside of these walls, not just Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. right? There's like a standard almost um, to serve. And the temptation's real, right? Um, Outside of these walls, um, at school, you know, uh, college life is wild. It's crazy, you know, Um, between the stresses of, of homework and projects and and exams and uh, between the pressures of drinking, right? And um, the, the, the now hookup culture, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. It makes, it makes it really hard to live a life of worship outside these four walls, um, you know, because people, people make fun of you sometimes, right? They pressure you um, and you wanna stay relevant. You wanna stay relevant to your friends, to those you impress, right? You don't wanna be, you know, that lame church boy, you know? So, um, I mean, I've been called that, which is a terrible, it's a, it's a terrible thing, you know, but, um, <laughs> but, but you have good hair, so yeah, well, uh, that works too. So, <laughs> well, thank you. So Caden, you would say one of your main things strategically you do is to serve Absolutely. in a place that sh- your gifts and talents that God gave you to serve. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. Would you guys give Caden a hand? Thank you for your help. All right. All right. <clears throat> This is Craig and Susan Miller, and my question I was kind of talking with them about was, as uh, your family grew, you had, you know, started by having one child and then kind of grew through the years. Um, As a young family with a lot of demands, how do you guys kind of stay centered spiritually? How do you make sure that that's the priority in your home? Well, first thing is we realize that raising children is war, and so we have a very aggressive first strike policy (laughs) with our children. I like it. 
Craig and I have three kids. We have one that is in kindergarten, one in middle school, and one in college. So uh, we always have our foot in every door at all times. <laughs> um, but for us, um, I made notes because I was trying to think through some of the things that we did. Um, Before she gets going, because she made notes, I didn't. Uh, we talked about this, and I let her be the detailed one. I remember very early on when we were first married, and we had Samantha. You know, we were very young. But even then, I remember we got on the same page, and, and we talked about we're not going to live in denial of our mistakes. And we use the world's mistakes, our mistakes, as a dialogue starter with our kids in, in, in a non-judgmental way. We don't want our kids going out and judging the world and, and being the holier than now, but learning that there are consequences and why God you know, says the thing he does, the things that he does, is because he loves us and he wants to protect us. And so that's kind of been our model in a lot of the things that we do. We try to uh, use those things that we've done wrong and right uh, to educate our kids in the moment when stuff happens. That's great. I'm a list maker, so sorry. Yes, you make lists. <laughs> um, when they were little, uh, we took that as the time to set up how we wanted them to grow up. Um, so when they were little, we prayed with them every night. I mean, that's just a simple, a simple time when you can have one-on-one -on -one time with our kids. We'd pray with them at night. We'd pray with them when we had dinner out or, or dinner at home. Or if we heard a fire truck go by, we would pray for the fire truck. I know a lot of people are doing those, in, those things, and you think, like, it's not meaning anything. But to this day, I still pray with my kids at night before they go to bed, um, even at the ages they are now. Um, we also go to church regularly. Um, we come here on Sundays, but we're also in Bible study, and we take, took our kids with us. Um, there were times that we went through where maybe one of our kids couldn't go, but then we took turns. Uh, one of us would stay home, and the other one would still go, because we felt that it was important for us to be the example of what we wanted to see in our kids. Um, Craig covered talking to them intentionally, so I'm going to skip that one. Um, the other thing that we have done is, uh, to this day, we sit down and eat dinner together. There's no TV, there's no, um, no phones at the table, and we, a friend of ours actually, I picked this up from her, they go around their table and they ask their kids, tell me one good, one bad from your day. And we've kind of adopted that in our house, too. And so it gives us the opportunity to talk to them maybe about something that could have happened in their day and how they could have done it differently or what God sure. would have wanted them to do. Or, you know, hey, here's something good. Let's praise God for that. And so um, that was something, too. Um, and as they got into their teenage years, the other thing that I wanted to kind of impress upon parents of teenagers is to listen, listen, listen listen. And it can be hard because you want to fix everything for them and you want to tell them like, no, just get away from that person. But we have to be accepting of their friends and where they're at in order to talk into their lives too. And um, as we've seen our oldest go off to college now, um, she calls us and asks us for advice. And, you know, this is what's going on with me spiritually. But I don't think that would have happened if we hadn't kept those doors open through the time she was growing up. So. Thank you, guys. Awesome. So Cheryl has recently reached a milestone in her life where she retired. Youngly. Yay, youngly, very youngly, <laughs> very youngly retired. And so uh, I wanted her to kind of share from the perspective of, so now that maybe things maybe are a tiny bit slower, uh, how do you keep 
spiritually centered? What are some strategies? Well, first of all, one of the things I realized is when you retire, if you don't have structure, you don't really do anything. Um, you start things and oh, I can finish that tomorrow and you go do another thing. And then maybe you finish that, but oh, I still have three other things, but I can do that tomorrow. And so just like I have to structure daily activities, events, whatever I want to do and make sure I, part of being retired is to spend time with my husband, Carrie, instead of always being running around like crazy, I have to structure in the spiritual time and have a strategy for that too. And of course, some of it is no different than we do at every age, trying to find a time that we set where we read the Bible. I prefer to do that in the morning and I like to pray at night. But I'm finding that with more time and with more interaction, my list is getting longer. So I think I'm going to have to actually write a prayer list rather than trying to remember it. You know, memory's not as strong. And I want to remember each uh, request that has been given and, and pray in the evenings. The other thing I love to do as part of my strategy now that I have the time is read. It, it's, it's calming for me. It's relaxing for me. And sometimes I read books by the hundreds of terrific Christian authors out there, and other times I found a neat little group of Christian mysteries that are just fun, and I sit and I read those just to enjoy the lightness in, in life. Um, I also have found this past week that I'm taking maybe days where I do research on topics that I might want to speak about or I need to know more about, and I'm also taking a little more time to get back to my own writing that I kind of let drop for several months or a year. And then last, I have to agree, the most fun part is the connecting, um, not only every week here, but in serving. And since I like to teach and I like to mentor, and I'm no longer doing those on a daily basis as I was when I was working, those are things that I actually want to structure in as part of my strategy to connect, um, particularly college age and young professionals are still where I'm drawn. Um, and, and that's a huge thing because when we serve, we grow closer in heart to Jesus, and so that definitely affects my, my spiritual life and my strategy. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Cheryl Hand. <clears throat> so today, the question for you is, what is your strategy? What is your spiritual strategy for your home? What is your spiritual strategy for your family? Maybe some of those things they mentioned you can apply. Maybe some of them don't apply in your life stage. But those are some practical tips. So the first thing I want to talk about today is this, that strategy alters our rhythm. Strategy alters our rhythm. Strategic righteousness is waking up every day and not just planning to avoid evil, but planning to do right. Righteousness means to make things right. So planning to take initiative and right what is wrong with the world, right what is wrong with our lives, right what is wrong in our families, right what is wrong in our schools, what is wrong in our workplaces. So in this series, we studied the book of Ruth. And in chapter three, we see Naomi comes up with a plan, we talked about this a little bit last week, for Ruth to meet Boaz. And the strategy, the plan, took determination. It took risk, it took focus, it took integrity, it took intentionality. Naomi had to think about how she was going to get Ruth and Boaz together to fall in love. And strategic righteousness takes hope. 
And I believe that hopelessness and helplessness is the thing that, that freezes, freezes us from strategy. It, it messes with, I want to call, like our rhythm. So if you're here today and you have this deep feeling that maybe in your relationship or in your family, uh, there is no hope. Maybe there's someone in your family that's super difficult and you've just written them off. They cannot be helped. There's just no way we're going to fix this part. There's no way this part of the, my, my life, this part of my family is going to work. That person's never going to come to church. That person's never going to stop bulldozing over everyone. Uh, th- these things are never going to happen. I want you to listen closely to this point because strategies of righteousness are the overflow of our hope. And when we get into rhythms where we are just thinking in directions that are hopeless or helpless, we, we work against ourselves. But I believe that making a strategy is what gets us out of those ruts. So remember in the very beginning of the book of Ruth, Naomi was bitter. If you remember, she even said, I'm so bitter, just call me bitter. You know, just, just that's my name. And she was not offering to Ruth a strategy at that time. In that beginning, she was just living in her misery. So I asked Luke to help me just with a little visual this, this morning. So I believe that Naomi's rhythm, if we were to put like a rhythm to Naomi's life at that time, it'd probably sound something like this. Why me? Why do all the bad things happen to me? There's no hope. Just call me bitter, right? Why me? Why do all the bad things happen to me? There's no hope. I'm just bitter. All right, that's good. So we see in Ruth 2.20, just a few little uh, verses later, there's this moment that Naomi awakens to the kindness of God. Now, we can only conjecture what happened. It, it doesn't tell us what happened between Ruth 1 and 2, but we know that something in her heart altered, that something in her rhythm altered, that her hope came alive, and the overflow was a strategy to make things right. And so maybe, maybe if we saw a picture of her heart rhythm at that time, it might have sounded something a little bit more like this. There's hope. Right will be wronged. God is living and active inside of me. There's hope. Right will be wronged. I can come up with a strategy. God is living and active inside of me. Thanks, Luke. Now, there's this thing. He's not done. Don't worry. There's this thing called an autopilot where um, it's a system. It scares me totally because when you get on a plane, they, like, set you up, and then they just go. They have a coffee, you know? I don't know how that works. But it's a system used to control the trajectory of a vehicle so that a human operator doesn't have to be hands-on all the time. Kind of like cruise control, but keep your hands on the steering wheel for cruise control, okay? But, you know, it's this idea that if you go one direction, you're going to keep going in that direction. And I believe it's so easy to allow the rhythm of our days for us to drift into autopilot. Because when we don't have a strategy, our natural bent tendencies drift us kind of into these ruts. And sometimes we don't even realize we're there. But it's these ruts of thinking, these ruts of actions, these ruts of sin patterns, these ruts of, of apathy. And, and we have to have this thinking that declares that our families are going to be able to change, that we won't always have to live with the same drama. <laughs> same drama, different day, right? We don't always have to be that way, that we don't always have to live with the same dysfunction, that we are not helpless, that we are not Hopeless, because when we realize, when we decide that we are, we just disengage and we drift. And we don't drift in the right direction. I was listening recently to a a Stephen Furtick sermon, and he said that our rhythm, when it's like that, sounds maybe something like this. 
get up, get dressed, get paid, go home. Get up, get dressed, get paid, go home. Get up, get dressed, get mad at the election, get paid, go home. And we just have these rhythms in our life where we just get up and we do the same thing week in and week out, week in and week out. And we just wonder, when, God, are you ever going to come into my life and change this situation? But yet, we continue to wake up having this rhythm. We do the same things every day. I read a story once about a man who sat across from his friend, and the, the, the friend looked at him and said, you don't have to live like this. And he kind of put his head down. And the guy sat there for 90 minutes and just said over and over, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to live like this until the guy got up there believing it. And so I want to encourage you this morning that you don't have to have boring, purpose, purposeless, defeating days. You don't have to live like your family will never change because we have a help and we have a hope. We have a help and we have a hope. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And John 16, 33 he says in Psalm 121.1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And with a strategy, the rhythm of our life can sound more like this. <laughs> Take heart. Jesus has overcome. My help comes from the Lord. Take heart. Jesus has overcome. My help comes from the Lord. We can say that. Jesus has overcome. And my help comes from the Lord. Thank you, Luke. You know, I was just reading in the scripture this week, and I believe that the writer of Hebrews describes some of the people who have had strategies of righteousness. These people didn't roll out of bed and decide to do these things. They had strategies of making what is wrong with the world right. And this is what it says, through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped to the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Some faced tears and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, and the world was not worthy of them. Thank you. And that, I believe, can be the rhythm of our own lives if we begin to have a strategy for righteousness. And so just real quickly, the last few minutes I have, I want to tell you that strategy alters rhythm. Strategy also brings protection. It brings protection. Um, in Ruth 3, it talks about uh, Ruth 3 verse 9. She says, I am your servant Ruth. When she went to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And that word uh, garment in Hebrew is actually the word for wing. And so what he is saying is spread your wing over me. My strategy is going to bring protection. If you want to keep your family safe from the harm of the spiritual enemy, he is saying come to God with a plan, and he will protect you with the almighty wings of who he is. That's what he says. Strategy brings protection. And so what are the components of a good spiritual strategy? If you have a bulletin uh, on the back there, I wrote down 10 brief things there. And, and, and here's the deal. I think this morning some of us here are stuck. 
We have a situation or a complication that feels too large, feels far too messy. Maybe we have a sin issue that seems unconquerable. You know what we do with those? We ignore them, right? Because I don't really know how to get out of this situation, so I'm just going to like let that one go. Uh, maybe we have a person in our life who seems unchangeable, uh, or we, ha- we, we just decide that part of me will never change. I will never be able to, to confront anyone, so I'm just going to let that go. I'll never be able to stand up for what's right in my workplace, so I'll just pretend that I'm not a Christian there, but when I go to church, I'll put on this other face. We just have these things in our lives that we're stuck. And what I want to begin to encourage you today is start a strategy. You probably don't know all 20 steps that will deliver you from the situation, but all you have to know is the first step. I'm asking God to give you the first step today. And maybe the first step of the strategy is this. God, I don't know what my first step is. (laughs) That happens to me all the time. God, I don't know what my first step is. That's my first step. Would you help me with my first step? Because I have no idea where to go from here. I have no idea how to fix this. Would you help me? Often when my prayer life, I put complicated things on the desk of God. So before I go to bed at night, I say, God, I made no progress in this situation. I have no idea what to do, but I put it on your desk. I put it on your desk, and I know that as I'm praying about it, you will begin working on it. And so I want to encourage you today. You have homework today from, your ser- from this sermon to go home, talk over these things with your family. Don't forget when we say family, we mean friendships and small groups and coworkers and church family, whatever that means to you, and make a plan to implement them. Okay, so the first is um, deposit reliable truth. Deposit reliable truth. So the aim of all study of Scripture is to deepen and broaden our confidence in God. And so all true learning, you can learn all kinds of things about the Scripture, but if that knowledge doesn't allow you to depend on God, then it's worthless knowledge. And so I want to encourage you to learn knowledge about the scripture, come to Bible studies, go to small groups, read things like Cheryl said, do things that are going to deposit knowledge inside of you, but know that that stuff is useless unless it begins to help you lean more on Jesus. It's like an archaeologist who finds a beautiful ancient painting, and he walks around and he puts it in a locked case because it's really valuable, and he walks around and he tours with it in the locked case and just tells everyone about how awesome it is, but he never shows it. It's like this example of he never actually, he, he just is happy that he has had the achievement of finding it, but that detracts from the actual beauty of the thing. So make sure as you're learning, as you're finding ways to deposit reliable truth into your life and your family's life, that you make it a priority, that it increases your dependency on him. Second, acknowledge the spiritual reality. So in Daniel chapter 10, it gives us this brief glimpse of something that's happening and Daniel's praying, and he's partially fasting for 21 days, and he is trying to gain insight into the revelations he has received. And then an angel finally shows up to him to answer his prayers, and the angel says, I've been trying to get to you, but I've been detained by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And so the chief angel Michael had to come and free him. And this experience tells Daniel that there is more than meets the eye. You know, everyone has a little different idea of what that actually means, what spiritual warfare means. Everyone grew up maybe in a different uh, type of, of thinking about this. But let me tell you something I believe we can all agree on this morning, is that there's more going on than what we see in our physical being. There's more. There's more going on. And so praying and fasting and doing those things is imperative to see and perceive what's actually happening around us. And we need to do that to be a stronger family, to have a strategy. Third, holy determination. 
Luke 18.1 says, keep praying and don't lose heart. Some breakthroughs in your family will be achieved relatively quickly. Some of you will come to God, you'll pray about something, and God will move things quickly. But others require a long, persevering endurance. But either way, breakthroughs require a determination to keep up the work. There are no shortcuts in building strong families. There is no collect $100 and pass go. It is all about the work that you are willing to put into it. We talked about that last week, the commitment it takes to follow Jesus, the commitment it takes to strengthen your relationship with him. It will deepen and strengthen your family. So we need to have a strategy for holy determination. Four, consistent influence. We need to have a strategy for consistent influence. Um, There's a book by Reggie Joyner called Think Orange, and it uses this illustration. I'm going to put the pictures up here. Uh, of the church's influence in a child's life versus the comparison of a parent. And so what it says is the average church has only about 40 hours a year to influence a child, which is, which is significant. We're not saying that's insignificant. But a parent has closer to 3,000 hours per year to influence a child. So we cannot simply rely on what is being taught in church as the only consistent influence our children and youth have if we want to build strong families. They do a killer job at Inside Out and and through our children's ministry, but the the family must reinforce the truth. The family is, is, is the people that come back and say, so what did you learn there? How can we put that? What's the strategy for us to put that truth invested into our family? I want to say if you're here today and you don't have children or maybe yours are grown and off living their lives, You are a very important part of this strategic point, and here's why. Reggie Joyner says that at some point in a child's life, they seem to care more about what other adults say than their own parents, okay? I realize that happens. My kids are only eight, four, and and one, so I'm not there yet. But at some point, I can say the same thing as someone else, and they're going to hear it better from someone else. And so I am praying that some of you, when you go home and evaluate the part of this strategy— That God will impress upon you that you must be part of the solution to building a strong church family and building a strong community. And that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and say, you need to get involved in teaching the kids. You need to get involved in teaching the youth. You need to get involved because you may be the only voice that a teenager is going to hear. That you may be the only person that they're going to listen to because it takes a village. It takes a village. It takes a church. It takes a church family. Mark Kelly from Lifeway said this, um, 46% of students that stayed faithful to their faith through through teenage years and through college were invested in by five adults from their church. 46%. 28% said that they they were invested in by two uh, adults from their church. So that's even a pretty good statistic. But what they're saying is that personally and spiritually, as a church family, we need to raise up and invest and build our community. All right, number five, give and receive encouragement. I think one of the easiest things to do is to lose perspective of how God sees things, to lose God's perspective. And we all face the temptation to quit. Everyone faces it through their life. It's, It's the temptation to quit our assignment. And as believers, it's our temptation to quit following hard after God, to quit investing in people, to quit 
risking and pressing for the next frontier. We need to tell each other why uh, we don't need to quit. We need to, we need to encourage each other to forget yesterday's failures as pastor prayed, to move forward. And so part of your strategy today is I want you to go home and write a Facebook message to somebody and just encourage them and tell them that whatever they're doing, whether they see the fruit of it, to not quit on their assignment. Because as the body and the kingdom of God, we need to remind each other those things because it is so easy to get discouraged. Number six, serve. Serve. That's all, that's all there is for that one. Serve. All of the people up here said that is what helped them with their, their strategy. Um, in fact, on the back of your bulletin, there's a little thing, and you can check volunteer, and Kate will call you and plug you into all the places we have. There's not a lot to say about that except serve. Jesus tells us to do it. We have to do it. And as part of your strategy, serve as a family, serve as a couple, serve as a community. It's really important. Number seven, celebrate each other. Permission to have a party. Pam and I really enjoy this one. Right? Permission to have a party all the time. When is the last time we celebrated because something you've been praying together as a family God answered? We have parties for the Super Bowl, right? But when we pray for something and God answers it, we forget to celebrate. So celebrate each other. Some of your action steps today is going to be to go home and plan a party. <laughs> plan a party to celebrate what God is doing. Plan a party to celebrate the way that God is moving in your family and in your community. You know, God does this with us. He just celebrates our breakthroughs. He celebrates our victories. And that is what he asks us to do. And lastly, number eight is initiate reconciliation. We talked about this in this series also. This, today's kind of a recap of this series. But if there is strife in your family with a friend or a relationship, as believers in Jesus, we are called to initiate reconciliation first. That's just the bottom line. We are called to that. Even if there's only 10% responsible for the conflict. There was a period of time where Joel and I, when we would have an argument, we would sit there and we'd be like, oh, I'm 25%. I'm 60%. Like, she, he'd be like, Nicole, that doesn't even add up to 100. You know, like I couldn't even do the math right. But we would, we would somehow say, well, if you wouldn't have done this and that 10%. And we had this whole kind of formula of who was going to apologize and whose turn it was to, you know, all this stuff. But, but if you are even this much percent responsible for the conflict, spiritual maturity always takes the humble first step. Up. Always. And who in your life are you offended by today? Don't wait for them to make it right. If you want a strategy to make things right, a strategy for righteousness, you must make the first step. I love that when we take one step in God's direction, he just comes running to meet us. That is who the God is that we serve. And in the same way, we must forgive, become unoffended, and initiate the reconciliation. I left 9 and 10 blank for you today because I'm praying that God is speaking to you about a spiritual strategy in your family. I'm praying that he will tailor make the plan for where you are in your life right now and that he will give you the practical steps to go and obey today. I, my, my dear friend Tara Mitchell is our family connections director, and she would love to help you make a spiritual strategy for your family. Email her, call her. You can find her info on the website, and you can just say, hey, this is what we're facing. What would you recommend? And she would just be so glad to sit with you and walk through some steps, some spiritual strategy that you can take to refer you to great and amazing counselors we have or resources that we have. Also, don't forget about Right Now Media. We gave that 
uh, to all of you on launch day, and, and this is available for all of us. It's, it's like Netflix for Christians. It's this whole thousands of videos that you can go and sit through, and, and your family can grow significantly. It's all for free. If you haven't got signed up for that, you can check that out on the website too and just get signed up. These are things that we must do if we want to grow further and deeper in our faith. We're going to close up today, so the band's going to come up. We're just going to sing that last song. Would you guys stand? And let me finish with this. My great friends Bobby and Beth are here this morning, and they teach me everything I know about the military. So I want to finish with a, a military analogy, okay? So the word breakthrough is actually a military concept. So when one army is able to weaken its enemy's forces to the point of collapse, that's a breakthrough. Let me say that again. When an army is able to weaken its enemy's forces to the point of collapse, a breakthrough occurs. And then it allows that army to invade and take back the territory. That is the definition of a breakthrough. And in a war, a breakthrough only really matters if it occurs at a strategic location. So you can have all sorts of breakthroughs. Yeah, super great, you got into the place that was easy or, or this, this unguarded wall or, or this or that. But in areas of your life that don't matter very much, those breakthroughs don't make a lot of difference. But a real, true breakthrough that will change you and change your family must happen at a strategic location at your heart. And that is why we have to have a strategy. Jesus will guide and show us where to fight for the breakthrough. Maybe some of you, your first reaction to the strategy was a certain thing. Maybe you wanted to tackle like how annoying your husband is or something. Joel's not here, so I don't know that. But God may say to you, no, no, no. That's just a symptom. Where the strategic location breakthrough needs to happen is in your heart in this area or where the strategic location needs to happen is we need to get this particular person on board with the presence and the power of Jesus, and that's gonna affect your whole family. You see, God sees the whole thing. God sees the entire picture, and he will show you the strategic location where when you have an advance will bring a breakthrough. If you're here this morning and your family is a mess, I want to remind you that broken isn't always bad. That perhaps that is the signal to where the strategic location is found. Perhaps in that brokenness is where you need to begin to pray and figure out the strategy of how to fix it. So we're just gonna, let me, let me pray for us this morning and then we're gonna sing this. This was kind of our theme song for the last few weeks. We're gonna end with this. Jesus, we pray for a strategy. God, we pray for a strategy because we want so badly to honor you and to serve you and to go deep with you. And God, we want to move into the rhythms of your grace. God, we want to, to feel the presence of your Holy Spirit. We want to be among the hall of fame of the faith in Hebrews 11, where they administered justice and righted what was wrong in our communities and in our families. And God, we ask you this morning that you would help us center on Jesus and that you would give us a strategy. And God, that we would not think that these practical things are, are not important, but God, they are the most important because they allow us to move and be obedient to you, and then you bring blessing and healing and change. And so God, as we sing this song together, we will not be shaken no matter what happens. God, would you give us a strategy for this church? Would you give us a strategy for our family? 
Would you give us a strategy for this community? God, we're trusting you and we're listening. And we, we promise that if you give it to us, we will obey. We will take the steps that you ask. And Lord, it's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Against you will fall for our. 